are going to start a series this evening that will take us a few weeks to get through. We won't be doing it Christmas night, uh, but uh, we'll be doing this on Sunday nights for uh, a little while. Uh, in our fellowship, we have some standards for ministry, and uh, this is public ministry. This has to do with uh, anyone who would be uh, ministering on any level uh, in a public setting. Now, servant ministry is a little different, and we could get into that, and sometimes that's just the catalyst of getting people uh, excited about what, how God can use their lives. But like any other institution, there has to be standards, Right? There has to be a commonality or a, and a consistency that we can rest on. When I moved overseas, I took my gas grill. I found that to be a mistake because Europeans have a different standard for gas-fitting plumbing. America, all your tanks, all your gas grills and gas fixtures, when you buy a propane tank, uh, when you get that filled at whatever store or gas station you get that filled in, that is a standard fitting. That when you screw that in, uh, it is going to work, it is going to seal. It is something that the industry has decided this is a standard. Colleges have standards This will be both in the sense of grades. You have to maintain a certain grade point average. They would also have standards when it comes to some kinds of conduct. Now, they would not have the standards that we'll have that in ministry as Christians, some some schools actually do. There's one particular school in Pensacola, Florida. It's a Bible school that if you miss, if you don't show back up to your dorm, you're out. Curfew's 10. If you're not back by 10, you can be booted out of the school. The military has standards. There was recently the... Uh, I think it was for the uh, Texans, uh, the the national football team, the offensive coordinator was coming. They flew back from defeating uh, Green Bay Packers, and the offensive coordinator was pulled over later that night for drunk driving. And they're waiting to see what the NFL is going to say about that. Standards. And so when we come into the church, when we come into ministry and we talk about standards, people all of a sudden get, well, why are you legalistic? Are we? The world is full of standards. Shouldn't the church be? And so we're going to investigate these. When people go into a public ministry, we have a form that people will sign and agree to. And they just involve six basic understandings that you will be in church in every possible church event. We understand people work. We understand people get sick. I understand people have relatives in different places. I'm not, you know, we're not like that. But, you know, 
Just say, ah, you know, I decided to watch it on live stream. You will pay your tithe because you don't wash a rental car. You won't make this financially part of your life. We also have issues when it comes to television and movies and downloading movies and things like that. It's keep your eyeballs in your head. The pornography and and such. You'll also on your computer have a pornographic filter. And we have these rules, these standards, if you will, so that you're not violated and then violating others. And I'm going to actually roll all three of those into one because it really does have just the issue of keeping your eyeballs in your head, but you have to spell it out with people specifically. And the final one is that you will maintain a right relationship with church, with your brothers and sisters and such, your pastor, that you would not be rebellious. In the Bible, there's standards. And I want to look with you and talk this morning, this setting the, the groundwork for this this evening. And I've simply called this study, Character Matters. And so we're going to be using this text, going over this. It's not a very long series. It's only going to take a couple of weeks. But I figured it's worth visiting these again and understanding this. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we're going to go on through verse 13. Paul, the apostle, writes, and he says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. Other translations say an honorable work. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own family well, having his children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud And the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him, that he would not be a disgrace and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons, which simply means servants, must well be respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mysteries of the faith and uh, and, uh, reveal... Uh, faith now revealed, and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed deacons, let them be closely examined, and if they pass the test, they shall serve as a deacon. In the same way, their wives must be respected, not slanderous of others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household as well. Those who do well as deacons will, re, uh, will be rewarded with the respect of others and have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, generally, and understand this, this is speaking of two offices, that is, he specifically puts out a bishop or a elder 
bishops, elders, pastors are all the same in the, in, in the Bible. They all have to do with the same office. There are apostles. These would be leaders. We pray for them specifically. Apostle simply means a, 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 a foothold or someone out ahead or someone who is simply an example. But then he mentions deacons. Now, deacons came out of the term servant. It is actually comes out of this term that we're going to look at in just a moment out of Acts chapter 6, where the first disciples, the first, what we would call disciples, were considered servants or, which is what the term deacon means, servants or table waiters. We still use that, our server. If you go to a restaurant and you have someone wait on you, we would call them a waiter or a waitress or a server. Your server will be right with you. This is actually the same thought and term of this word deacon. Now, today we've kind of changed Christianity in the sense of a little bit of the terms uh, where the term disciple, we've now made that to be the term Christian. And the term deacon, we've now made to be the term disciple. But these terms are there. And they really, if you notice in the standards, there's not much difference. There's not really any major difference between what he says if you want to be a pastor or if you want to be a servant. There really isn't a great difference for that. Standards are all through the Bible, especially when it comes to people who are going to be elevated in some kind of ministry. Acts chapter 6, I just referred to this. There was a dispute in the church. There's a problem. The disciple, the apostles now, they, they can't handle everything. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. They need some help. They need uh, some people to take on responsibilities. And so there's uh, people getting served at tables, and there's disputes because some of the Halatians, which were Greeks who converted to Judaism to convert because that's what they thought you had to become a Jew before you become a Christian. And so these, they were saying that these ones that had done that were getting served last over the native Jews. And so the 12, it says in verse 2 of Acts chapter 6, the 12 called a meeting of believers and they said, we are apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. So, brothers, select out seven men who are well-represented, well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend time in prayer and teaching the word. Now, the apostles come together. They say, listen, you know what? This is going to be too much. We've got other responsibilities Let's find seven men. And so here's some standard. You want to find these seven men. They have to first be spoken well of in the church. Don't find Brother Claude, who's a Claude. Don't get him. He's not going to be helpful. He's obnoxious. He offends people. Don't use him. Find people that are respected, well spoken of. Find people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just the ability to speak in tongues. See, I'm Pentecostal, you're Pentecostal. Wouldn't you like to be a Pentecostal? It's not that. It's not just Shor Rabbah. It's people who are spiritual. 
I can tell you the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit in this room are going to be the people who were in the back room before the service. Praying. Those who read their Bible. Those who are making an effort to be spiritual. Full of wisdom. Can you think? Can you understand? Can you process certain areas of life. He said, these are the standards. First of all, this is what we need. This is going to be a standard to help the ministry because ministry is not just a job. It's not just based on what you can do, your talents. There's lots of people with good talents, and we're going to see how the lifestyle doesn't match the talent. Not only, we read the list in 1 Peter, and I'm not going to take time to read it, but Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, also has a very similar list to being a pastor and dealing with these character issues. Because our text is dealing with our hearts. Ministry, first and foremost, has to come from the hearts. Our text says in verses 2 through 5, So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, not love money. He must manage his own house well, having his children who respect him. Then it goes on to say of the deacon in the same way, in verse 8 and 9, the deacon must be well respected, have integrity, not heavy drinkers, not dishonest with money, must continue in the mystery of the faith now revealed, and must live with a clear conscience. It deals with areas like character. It's interesting in the list of being a pastor, only two of them actually have to do with ability. The rest all have to do with conduct. Is he able to teach and is he able to have his house under control? Those are the only two prerequisites as far as abilities. But that he would live above reproach, that he would, you know, not be a drinker, not be a... And we're going to get into some of those. That example, right? People will take this and say, well, Paul says a little wine for the belly's sake and all of this. And you know what? I, some of it I can't even argue with. But I can tell you it's not a good example. Hard to witness to an alcoholic with a beer in your hand. Hard to tell somebody they can be free from alcohol if you're not. Talks about people skills. It talks about being spiritual. I know people who have abilities, but they're not spiritual. I know people who have people skills, but they have no character. Public ministry standards are good and they're help. In Acts chapter 15, it said they had a meeting. The, 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 the bunch of uh, Jewish believers were going around teaching people basically that they had to follow the laws. It's Jewish Roots 1.0. 
And so they would say, you have to, you know, you have to keep all of the, the, the laws and the fee. And, you know, and, you know, gentlemen, you'd have to get circumcised because that's the way it is. And so, you know, and, and like Titus gets saved and he's like, no, no, I don't, I, that, I don't get a witness with that. Nope. They came up with this. They said, okay, for it seemed good. So they have this meeting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Paul goes with Titus and he brings Titus and Titus testifies. Nah, didn't feel a witness on that at all. And so they, they had this discussion and they come up with this. And this is how they conclude it. They write a letter and it said, it seemed good from the Holy Spirit for us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, consuming blood or meat from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will fare well. So they come up with this. They're like, okay, they've got all these rules. How are we going to do this? Let's protect some people. Don't eat things offered to idols. Just stay away from the pagan stuff. That'll really help you. Stay away from blood. This actually had to do with some good health uh, advice back in that day. Uh, you know, there were people would make a lot of things out of blood. Blood sausages uh, still used in Ireland. I, in the three years I was there, I could not bring myself to even try it. And so I... And stay moral. And you'll do well. So lists and requirements are there. And even from time to time, they need to be updated. And what I mean by that is not that we add a whole new one, but that you have to then bring in the standards and make them understandable for that generation. In Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 19, Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, and you did not learn this from any human being. And now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys to heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall uh, forbid on earth shall be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth shall be permitted in heaven. This is said again in Matthew eighteen eighteen. What this has to do with, and they under the apostles would have understood this in Jewish understanding. Adam Clark wrote and said the. Uh, mode of expression was frequent among the Jews. They would consider everything done on earth according to God's order in the same way it was done in heaven. Thus the custom was said by the priests, anointing different things when they would do different sacrifices. And so he goes on to say that they would declare things fit for religious service and for society. Such as leprosy, they would have to make a decision on the leprosy and there was the way of determining whether the growth grew or how that was all happening. And so this is the thought here of what you forbid and what you permit. And so obviously, binding and loosing or permitting and forbidding 
had to do with the prophet for what is fit for the fellowship or unfit for the fellowship of the members of Christ according to the doctrine of God. Let me give you some examples of this. The apostles in their day never dreamed of the internet. They would have never had a clue, like, you know, wow, there'll be an internet that you can access anything. The internet can be very, very helpful. It also can be very, very dangerous. Absolutely fraught with danger. They would have never dreamed of television, movies, you know, I, I could go on about Hollywood, and I probably will when we get to this. But, you know, Hollywood makes all their money on G-rated Disney movie kind of things. I know they're laden with witchcraft now, and Disney got pulled out for it. But kids' movies make their money. The slasher, violent, immoral things don't. And they, they use their money from the, monies that, the movies that make money to produce the crap. The apostles never dreamed of that. Tobacco wasn't a thing. Uh, it was a thing, but it just wasn't in... It was just here in North America. They didn't think they were going to have to deal with issues like that. I've had people say to me, sinners, thank God not in the church, but sinners, you know, hey, marijuana is legal today. I guess that makes it okay. So there's different times you've got to deal with things that change, that are still based in the spirit of what God said. We're not adding something on. Of course, you look at alcohol. What does that produce? Well, then, of course, that's what marijuana and other drugs that are legal produce some of the same things, if not worse. And so dealing with these and looking through these, sometimes they have to be re-examined. And thank God we have leadership that does. Let's think about what standards do. In our text, the list of standards, they have a protection for a number of things. One is they protect you personally. There's something about knowing and being established that what is acceptable and what is not. That helps us. The problem is, is if everything is acceptable, then we'll lean towards what we like. There's a scripture that is, or a statement that is used a number of times in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges is called this, the cyclical downfall of Israel, right? They would be doing well. They'd fall into sin. Then they'd fall into bondage. They'd cry out to God and God would bring and raise up a deliverer and they would get out of it until they, that leader died or he himself went south. And then they would fall into sin again and then into bondage, cry out and God. But each time they're losing something. 
Each time they're not getting back to where they were. They're kind of like, you know, your, your, your batteries in your devices, right? When you plug them in the first time, they charge to 100% and they're good for X, you know, X amount of hours. But every time you're recharging them, they're diminishing. And that if you have a six or seven year old device, which most of you probably don't because we change out our devices quite more frequently than that, right? But most people do. Their battery life begins to be what used to be 12 hours is now four. The diminishing returns of judges. But the common statement is every man did what was right in his own sight. And so we have to know that they protect us. 1 John 5 In verse 3, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Very interesting. They tried children. They put them in a yard, out in a a field to play, and they said, you can go anywhere in in the field to play. And the children would stay very close to the people, the program where they were put. Then they put a group of children in the field, but they had a fence around it. And they said, you can go everywhere. And the children explored almost every corner of that. Because limits are actually freeing. They're actually liberating. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free Now, make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. When people cast off the willingness to fight for standards, for righteousness, it becomes a slow motion opportunity to backslide. How things began to be in was Jonathan Edwards' grandfather, who was a pastor, who back in the day of the early, before we had left England, before the United States, they entered into what they called the half covenant. Now, basically, in these communities, you couldn't vote unless you were a member of the church. For public, You couldn't vote in your public election. And so as a result, they were having problems and there were people who didn't want to, you know, they were either backslidden or just sinners and they don't want to be part of the church. So they allowed them to join the church on a halfway covenant. And as a, so they could vote. But what Jonathan Edwards noticed is that this was pulling down America. This was pulling down the church. Now you have people in there and there are no standards. There are no There's people in there. They're not Christians. They're doing all sorts of things that they shouldn't be doing. And it triggered Jonathan Edwards to lay hold of God and caused what was known as the first great American awakening. And it had to do with him preaching a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it says that the church, they were... He, he would read his sermon like this, so he wasn't paying attention to the crowd. And some of them were holding on to the poles and pillars and pews of the church because they were afraid they were going to slip into hell at that moment. 
because they knew their lifestyle wasn't there. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then get entangled up again. They are enslaved by sin again, and they are worse off than before. So standards protect you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and I'll paraphrase this, and he says, you know what? Do you run to win the race? Then run to win. Because I don't run with uncertainty. I'm not just shadow boxing. I want my punches to count. He goes on to say that I run training and disciplining my body, and people do this to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. He makes this statement at the end. I discipline my body like an athlete in training in what I should do. Otherwise, I fear that when I preach to others, I myself might be disqualified. Others say unapproved. Other translations say rejected. So they protect ourselves. They also protect others. It means that certain behaviors are acceptable and certain behaviors are not. I've shared this story before, but it, it's just a perfect illustration. My, uh, there was actually a man I, I began to work with in a project for our school, our children's school. He, he wanted to uh, build a, a playground, a place, a soccer field. There was these two schools in between them. The, the field between them was just trash. And so he thought, we can raise some money. We can get some Army Corps of Engineers in there. We can turn this into a soccer field, a couple of baseball fields. People got on board. My big contribution is that I just used the church printer that I used and saved them hundreds of dollars. And they thought I was great in that. And my name's on the, there's actually a plaque that's there. As we were successful and the end of this was coming together, there was a meeting at the school, and he and his wife were standing talking to another couple there when my wife and I walked over. And the husband of couple A looked at the wife of couple B and said, hey, when are we going to get rid of these guys and hitch up? Right in front of their spouses. And everybody just laughed. My wife and I were like, now I'll tell you, if you do that here, (laughs) there may be blood. That's all I'll say. Because that's wrong. And isn't it nice to come to an area where you know that's not going to happen? That you can be safe in that? That there is standards that we can rest in that protect each other? That you don't make comments like that. You don't say things like that. That is not going to be acceptable. It's a standard. We have it. It also protects God. God has gone out in a 
and allowed you to be part of his kingdom, to be used publicly. This protects God. Second Samuel chapter 12. Actually, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where David commits adultery and then tries to cover this up by inviting... Then, well, the girl gets pregnant. Bathsheba gets pregnant. So his genius idea of covering this up is take her husband off the battle line, bring him back to Jerusalem for a few days, and, you know, and he'll probably go see his wife, and then, uh, you know, and it'll be his kid, and we would just, it'll be the oar. It'll be clean. But he won't. He's like, I can't do this where my fellow soldiers are all on the front line. That's just not fair. And he won't do it. So David writes the letter, sends a letter in his own hand, says, give this letter to Joab. Joab, the letter says, when Uriah comes there, put him in the front of the battle retreat and leave him to die. Nathan then confronts David. You've done this. 2 Samuel 12, 14. David immediately repents, and that's the only thing that saved his life because Nathan was actually there to kill him. And verse 14, however, because you did this deed and gave great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also is born to you shall surely die. Mega church pastors today, there's been a litany of those who have fallen morality, money, all sorts of various. And they bring a reproach on the kingdom of God. You talk to people, all the church, all they want is your money. Well, some churches, that's actually true. I remember, you know, others, the immorality of it, brings a reproach on God. Standards protect that. That you know what? You can't stop somebody from falling. If they're bound and determined to be stupid, they're going to be stupid. It's just the way it is. But standards protect. No, we deal with that. One of the horrible marks of the Catholic Church with the pedophilers is that they never removed them. They just moved them. They took them out. Oh, things are getting difficult. One day we'll move you to a different diocese. And then eventually it all became out, and now it's cost the the Catholic Church millions of dollars. Standards mean you're in or you're out. Committing to standards. Our text says in verse 1, this is a trustworthy saying, if someone inspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. Verse 7 of our text, and also people outside the church must speak well of him, that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Verse 13, 
Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect of others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. There's a couple of rewards that I just want to touch on lastly. One is, of course, the reward of righteousness. Doing what is right is a reward of itself. You can pillow your head at night and you can know, you know what? I don't have to go replaying the stupidity. Anyone who spent any time as a sinner knows there's things you did and it's like, I wish I, you know, (laughs) if I could get that back, if I could remake that decision, if I could have that day, that month, that year back, I'd do it differently. But the reward of righteousness is that you don't have to, you don't have to live with that. One in six Americans will take something tonight to go to sleep. Many of them, it's because their conscience screams at them from some of the things they did in the past. Some of them, it's because of what was done to them. They need deliverance. But the reality of what many have done follows them through. And time is no friend to you. 10, 15, 20 years. Now, if you've committed things before you were saved, know that the blood of Jesus has forgiven you and you can now live right. That's the glorious promise. And that you can, you're not adding to it. And that you can plead the blood and that you are clean by the blood. It also mentions in our text a clean conscience. First Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, Titus chapter 1, 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess knowing God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Having a clean conscience, knowing I didn't do man, I didn't do God bad. That's worth something. That'll free you. That's liberating. And finally is the thought of usefulness. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. The Message Bible says of that, that's what I mean to say, many get invited, but only few will make it. God says there's an invitation. He wants to use. I mentioned in the serious men, God has a destiny for every, every individual. Some of them will be public ministry and you'll go somewhere else. You'll preach the gospel, maybe a different country, maybe a different city, a different state, whatever. Others of you, that won't involve that kind of ministry, but it does involve some kind of service. God has a purpose for your life. And it is only when we live right, righteously, that we can be used by those purposes. That it makes us now useful. And again, there's uh, all sorts of effectiveness and things that can be done in the 
in the kingdom of God that have different places and different impact and different opportunities that are very useful and God's reward will be upon them. You know, the guy who got five talents got the same kind of reward as the guy who got two. Because God said, this guy's a two-talent guy, this guy's a five-talent guy. I'll give this guy five talents, I'll give this guy two talents. It didn't mean that this guy with two talents couldn't have five talents later. But it just meant right now, that's where they were at. But he could use them both. It's the guy with the one talent who buried it and went on his way and got distracted. God can only use our lives and be effective when we live to the lifestyle that will back up our words. And that's why we have standards. That's why we have ministerial standards to keep you and I online. And we're going to look at these specifically. We're going to take time to look at why you should keep your eyeballs in your head. Why you need to pay your tithe. Why you need to get along. And then we're going to close it with the things such like. Why it's good to try to stay away. Where it says in our text, not a heavy drinker. But you know what would be even better? That you're not a drinker at all. Why? Because one becomes two, becomes three, becomes I can't remember. Right? The old country song. I went there only to have eight drinks. And by six or five, I lost count. So I just started over. <laughs> Thank you. Right? You know, it's a, it's a slippery slope. Sipping saints become slipping saints. Well, tobacco is not in the Bible. It doesn't say anywhere that you shouldn't smoke. It does say the works of the flesh and things like these. And not only will it give you bad breath and lung cancer and make your clothes stink, it's also a subtle rebellion of how close can I get to the line without crossing over. And so we're going to have fun with this series because it's good to review and understand and I will make this last statement. People will call them ministry standards or some will even call them fellowship standards. But I would argue with you that they are not fellowship standards. They are biblical standards that our fellowship has embraced. We didn't make these up. Leadership didn't make these up. Keep your eyeballs in your head. That would be really good for you. Didn't make that up. They embraced it out of the word of God. And as we'll embrace these, we'll be blessed by God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. This is a series that I believe is going to just help some people. We're going to do these on Sunday nights for a couple of weeks. And we'll break it up with the holidays and such. But... I did this because God has standards. The Ten Commandments condemn us all. You might say, well, I never murdered anybody, but did you ever steal? 
commit adultery. How can you say, I keep the law? You break one part of it. James says very clearly, if you say you keep the law because you didn't murder anybody, but you did steal, then you broke the whole law. And he brings that out very clearly and very straightforward that the issue that we face is just the issue that we are a sinner. The good news is sinners can get saved. They can come to Jesus and repent and God can break through in their lives and in their hearts and bring us to glorious place of salvation. And he can even change us and use our lives after that. And so if you're here this morning you're, or this evening, you're not right with God, you're not saved, you're back, so you want to pray, I wonder if you slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me. Anyone at all. Changing the call then to Christians. These standards are there for public ministry, but they're really Christian standards. They're basically just, hey, be a Christian, be righteous. You don't have to be in public ministry to know that pornography will destroy your mind. And how do you boil a frog? I'm going to show a little clip from a man named Paul Harvey. We get to that one. But it's fascinating to understand that God has these standards and that if we'll give our lives to you will not regret them. Now, again, I know there's situations and circumstances and specifics that people have to work around. Your husband's not saved. Your wife's not saved. You know, I get that. I do understand that. That's not something that we're going to get totally legalistic and bound down on. But your character matters. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Allow people to find a place to pray. What's I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. Pure work and done. I'm alive and well. Spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love. How can it be? King should die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. Is my joy to honor you in all I do to honor you? Accepted, you were condemned. 
Him. Father, we love you, God. We worship your name. Seek your face, God. We love you and praise you. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God.